Good morning. This is Power 89.1 FM Radio coming to you from Lorain, Ohio. My name is John Murtha, and we're very happy you tuned in this morning. I'm in the station with our station engineer, Wanda Ewing. Good morning, Wanda. Good morning. And my good uh, friend and assistant, David Abood. Good morning, John. Good morning, Wanda. Good to be here. And I'm going to introduce a very special guest and friend in a moment. But I want to just tell you, we're happy that you uh, decided to tune in this beautiful Saturday morning. Uh, like I said, this is Power 89.1 FM Radio. And if you want to live stream us, which is often another way to get us, is www.wnzn.org, www.wnzn.org. And our phone number here, if you want to call in, you might have something you want to add to the show or a question for our guest. Uh, that's 440-399-3044. And so, uh, like I said, we have a very special guest. David Onisco was with us several months ago and presented uh, information uh, about the Shroud of Turin. Uh, he'll be doing some seminars and some uh, displays as well as workshops in the near future. So we decided to have him come back again. And uh, we had a good uh, response from the show. So we want to give him a chance to, again, tell about this uh, uh, amazing, really, archaeological find. Uh, he's going to tell us uh, different views upon it. But it definitely promotes conversation and discussion and curiosity about the death and the resurrection of Jesus, which I think makes the Shroud so interesting. So, David, uh, happy to have you here this morning. Hello, John. Good to be here. Wanda, good morning. Good David, morning. good morning. So good glad to, to have you. Good to, to be you, back David. again. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes. So, David, maybe if you could just give us um, a little about your life story, your <clears throat> testimony, however you want to share, to bring it to, so we get to know you better, and then we'll go into your uh, your topic. Sure, sure. Well, uh, I'm, I'm Cleveland-born native, uh, always been uh, living in Cleveland my whole life, um, was raised in a, uh, uh, with a Catholic background, mm -hmm. and uh, there was a point in my life, um, about 1980, I would say, when I found myself drifting, uh, just quite unsure as to, as to what direction I was to take in life, spiritually kind of barely treading water, and... Um, it's interesting that, uh, you know, my mother passed away that year. So I was searching and I found uh, a National Geographic article uh, on the Shroud of Turin in June of 1980. And uh, what it did was it explained the scientific testing that was done two years prior uh, by a, a scientific team. And a National Geographic um, explained uh, what was done and all the testing and the, and the, and the results up to that time. Well, that really got my attention, John, and uh, it was it was basically that experience which led me to the Lord. Um, I began attending uh, a Baptist church, uh, accepted the Lord as my Savior in a Baptist mm. church in 1982, and uh, I believe that uh, you know my my quest, my search, my. Uh, yearning to know more spiritually, uh, I believe the Lord led me to this article. And uh, because of it, I, 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 I saw the, the depth of the, the suffering of the man in the shroud, irrespective mm -hmm. of, of who yeah. you believe he is. I think we can make a case. But I saw that this is a real man, and he really suffered. He was brutalized, mm -hmm. and that just tore me apart. Mm -hmm. and, and, I, and I started looking at the claims of this man and, and comparing it with the scriptures, John, and there was nothing about this cloth that contradicted the scriptures. And, and so I believe that was a catalyst 
to 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 bring me to the Lord, mm. and and then it it I, I needed to know more, yeah. uh, and and they call guys like me. If you remember Star Trek, they they were Trekkies who watched that show. They were called <laughs> Trekkies. Uh-huh. They call guys like me or people like me, women too, uh, uh, shroudies. Mm. that we're part of the shroud crowd. <laughs> it seems like it gets a hold of us and it doesn't let us go. Uh-huh. So in 1982, I made a profession of faith, uh, accepted the Lord as my Savior, and since then, uh, he has put me on a path to share information about this unique artifact with as many as, as I possibly can. Okay, David, that gives us a good overview. And again, yeah. I remember you speaking, uh, oh, I think it was maybe four months ago, four or five months ago, <clears throat> So we're going to dig into this now, and then maybe you could tell us a little about the history of the shroud. I mean, there's some, my sense is a lot of people know about it, they heard the term, but are not too familiar with the artifact or the history or the background. You know, I'm minded of, uh, it says in Acts of the Apostles, uh, Luke writing, who was a physician, and it had a really a jeweler's eye for detail. He says, uh, to whom also Jesus showed himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs being seen of them 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And, of course, we have the proofs in the Scripture, but there's other things, even most recently in my lifetime, the discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls, which we might have touched on, uh, the ossuary box of Caiaphas, the high priest mm-hmm. that, that condemned Jesus. Uh, they discovered the Pool of Siloam that many historians says wasn't there. They, yeah, right. So, it, you know, there's layering and layering of so many different proof systems. Um, but, uh, David, give us a little background of... Uh, where this came from. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, the Shroud of Turin is the most studied object in human history, which is an amazing thing. A bloody, dirty burial garment, the most studied object. Yeah. And uh, so, so if it uh, belonged to Jesus, we have to be able to take it back to the tomb. Okay. Well, there are, you know, I'm, I'm not going to get into great detail. I'm just going to give you an overview here because, you know, the, the, the historical route of the Shroud has some gaps but we think that we can fill them in uh, uh, quite nicely, as a matter of fact. Of course, if they found it in the tomb, uh, they wouldn't have gone out and uh, held it up and said, look what we found. It was a bloody burial garment, which they were forbidden right. to touch. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and if it had an image on it and they saw it, you know, graven images. Of course, it wasn't graven. It wasn't made by man. If that image... You know, was there? It wasn't made by man, but they wouldn't have known that, mm-hmm. and so there would have been a lot of reasons for them to probably save it, but not let it be known that they have it. There mm-hmm. was there would be reason. There may have been an image on it, but it obviously belonged, and there was something about it. You know, John said at the end when they went into the tomb, they saw and believed. Now it's interesting in science observation. Is, is everything, being able to see something. So here you have the, 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 the mirroring of science and faith. They saw and what? They <clears throat> believed. You have science and faith. It's, it's just an interesting thing. But from there, the legend has it that there was a king in Edessa, which was north of Israel, who received a cloth with the face of Christ on it. It was called the image of Edessa. Uh, he, he received it from one of the 70 uh, disciples, Thaddeus, and, and for centuries, they believed that this was the authentic image of Jesus. How does that connect with the shroud? Well, for several hundred years after it was presented, and Eusebius, uh, he, he wrote uh, History of the Christian Church, 
about 325 AD, he mentions this, that there was a face cloth with an image of Jesus on it. This face cloth was said to have been, they used the Greek word called tetradiplone, which means folded in four, doubled in four, doubled, doubled four times. If you look at the Shroud of Turin, uh, using raking light uh, equipment, you can see fold marks which identify exactly with tetradiplone. When you fold the shroud up, double it four times, you have a face, only a face on a background. It's believed the Shroud of Turin was the image of Edessa given to Abgar, and the reason uh, it wasn't publicly known uh, is because it was disguised. And, and over the centuries, when it was rediscovered in 525 A.D. above the Western Gate, because there was a flood that destroyed the city, it was rediscovered. And at that time, this is very important, in 525 A.D., when the image of Edessa, this face cloth, which turns out to be believed to be folded, and it was a full-length cloth disguised, when it was rediscovered in 525 A.D., all of the icons, all of the paintings uh, in the known world changed. The depictions of Christ up to that time, he would be childlike, with curly hair, no beard, a Roman-looking Christ. In the 6th century, it all changed. You had a bearded, forked beard, owlish eyes, long nose, long hair. It's the image of the shroud. The shroud face is, is what happened in the 6th in the century, that when they all of a sudden things changed, they had to have been looking at the image we see on the Shroud of Turin. So over the centuries, this face cloth eventually made itself to Constantinople in 944 AD. The Byzantine emperor sent an army there to get it from Edessa because at that time in 944, it was under Muslim control. So after months of negotiation, the Byzantine army gets it. They take it back to Constantinople. And it was then, John, that it was described as a full-length cloth. This face cloth that they thought they were getting was then described when they got it back. This is a full-length cloth. Mm. And it was never known until 944. So we think we can take it back. You say, <clears throat> where, did the, where did the cloth come from? Well, the history, there, there are some gaps. But we believe we can fit it in nicely with the image of Edessa mm. uh, to, the, to the tomb. So the, the cloth itself is what? Is it 20? How, how long is it? It's 14 feet long and three, uh, three feet wide. However, it's eight cubits long and two cubits wide. It has Jewish cutting measurements uh, on it. Okay. And so... Which is, is, is significant. And so the normal burial procedure then, would you would lay the, the body down and fold it over, fold it over top. That'd be the normal procedure for someone who wasn't a condemned criminal crucified on a cross who they throw out on a pile outside the city walls. Uh, and yet this man was buried, very unusual. And it was the a custom to simply lay out a piece of cloth, put his ha body on the bottom half, bring the top half <clears throat> over the head, and then, and then fasten it with strips around the ankles, hands, knees, around the neck to hold it next oh, to the body. It's still a custom in the Middle East today. You know, you bring up a good point, David. If it was a criminal that the Romans killed, either they would just leave the corpse on, the, it, was a, it was like an advertisement, Wild a display. Come, don't yeah. steal, don't be a rebel, whatever. Mm -hmm. But the fact that this man has the wounds of a criminal that through excruciating torture and, yeah. and a slow death of crucifixion, mm -hmm. why would this great care 
be taken, which of course follows the biblical account, right, yeah. that a wealthy man yeah. and Joseph of Arimathea, and they, yeah. they, they, they actually prepared the body, and, and the women were actually come with the second stage of pre preparation yeah. with the anointing oils and that the previous. So it does, uh, yeah. I'm, I'm with you. Yeah, and, and I have to say, you mentioned weapons. It's interesting. There are three words that begin with W. Weapons, words, no, wounds, weapons, and words. Hmm. The wounds of the man in the shroud match the weapons of a Roman soldiers would have used, which match the words of Scripture. So you have that, that, was that trifecta. Yeah. Yeah. Three. You know what's interesting, too? When you look at the wounds uh, <clears throat> on the shroud, uh, the, the location of the mm -hmm. wounds of the nail, but even in the heel bone, tell them about what that was discovered in Israel. Yeah, where in, they 19, said yeah in 1968, Yehonan, which is John in Hebrew, um, they found uh, a bone box, an ossuary. Uh, which is the second burial you had mentioned. They put the body on a shelf, and then after a year they go in. When it decomposes, they take the bones, put it in a bone box, a limestone box called an ossuary, so they can reuse the bench mm -hmm. for the next body. Mm -hmm. And uh, they, uh, they looked in this box, and there was a Jewish man in the first century who was crucified. And in his ankle bone, there was a nail driven through, which was bent at the end, because when they drove it through, they must have hit a, a knot in, mm -hmm. in whatever it was yeah. that was driven into the wood and um, and so that bone is uh, th that bone is there and it gave him an idea of Roman crucifixion as well as the radius and the ulna of the lower arms they found uh, a, a scraping away a, a wearing away that that person had writhed with nails and by the way you know the Bible talks about they pierce my hands and my feet uh, the word hand the original word is chier, C-H-E-I-R, and it means fingertips to elbow. That's what it means. <coughs> they've actually done studies with cadavers, and they've put mm -hmm. nails through the palms. Within minutes, it rips, rips out. Um, a, 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 a body in, in, in writhing agony on a cross could not be held with nails through the palms. But the original language includes the wrist, and 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 the, the, uh, the nail went through the wrist, or at the base of the palm, because there are no thumbs on the man in the shroud, because the median nerve was either severed or severely damaged, which caused the thumbs to go in. How could a medieval forager have ever known that? And now the other thing, talking about that, so when you look at the shroud, those wounds are consistent with the, with the nails being where uh, it was uh, first century. Yes, David. Yes. Well, you know, um, the Gale Encyclopedia in 2003 gave really an incredible uh, description of the image on the shroud. It said certain researchers uh, have declared the front and back images on the shroud have turned to be anatomically correct if the cloth had been used to wrap a crucified man in its folds. The impressions on the shroud are a tall man with a beard, his hands crossed with the imprints of nails through the wrists and feet. The right side of the man's chest was pierced. In addition, the image is said by investigators to bear the marks of whiplashes on the back. The man's right shoulder is chafed, as is from having borne a heavy, rough object. A number of puncture wounds appear around the head, and one cheek displays a pronounced bruise. The chest cavity is expanded as if the victim had been trying desperately to draw air into the lungs, a common occurrence in a typical physical response during crucifixion. So you got the thorns, you got the chafe on the shoulder. You know, yeah. I just want to tell our listeners once again, if you want to call in, our number here is 440-399-3044. 
and uh, to live stream us, of course, uh, maybe it'll be clear. Um, you're not getting great clarity on your radio. That's www.wnzn.org. And we're in the station this morning with David Onisco, and we're talking about the Shroud of Turin. David's going to be giving some information later in the show about where you can go to a seminar. He's got the incredible displays uh, available, and that's going to come up in the near future. So, David, let's go back to the Shroud now and describe... Uh, bring it fast forward, so to speak, present day. Um, what is it showing us? Where is it? Tell us some of that. Yeah, well, it's 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 in Turin, Italy, which is north of Rome. Uh, it's been there since 1578. Um, it's been publicly exhibited uh, quite frequently here in the last, you know, couple decades. 98, I was there. In the year 2000, it was shown. I was there. They showed it in 2010, and in 2015 it was uh, displayed. And I just read on the internet where the Pope is going to bring it out in 2019 for a world youth conference. Just the youth allow them to see it. So it's been in Italy since 1578. And, um, of course, you know, in 1988 it was carbon dated, and the date came back medieval, and that kind of, uh, you know, a lot of yeah. people, you know, folded the cloth and said, okay, we can put it away, uh, no more need to talk about it. But since then, John, uh, they've discovered the reason why it was, you know, it dated improperly. The, the site they took it from was part of a reweave, it's believed, in the mm -hmm. Middle Ages. And um, they didn't know that at the time. It's been discovered since then. That, that was the fire that occurred. Uh, in the church, and then the nuns redid it. What in the 15th? that was 1532? Yeah. The fire occurred, and then 1534 it was uh, patched, and a holland cloth, a backing cloth, was put on it. Uh, but it's interesting if it was a painting in that 1532 fire, which was so great, it was in a silver box kept behind an altar. It was rescued. Uh, that a drop of silver dripped inside the box on a corner and caused the symmetrical burn marks you see on the cloth. Well, silver melts it over 900 degrees Fahrenheit. If it was a painting, it would have ran and smeared and it would have been completely destroyed. Just the opposite, it was untouched. The image was exactly the way it was. So heat doesn't affect the image, can't be a painting. There were no pigments applied to it. And and since then, since the carbon test, and we know that that's, you know, we, there are there are dirt particles on the feet of the man in the shroud that, yeah. has, that has a, a, a travertine aragonite limestone signature which is indigenous only to Jerusalem so so when they say well it was carbon dated you say but what about the dirt on the feet how would a medieval forger before the invention of the microscope had known to go get that you know pollen particles on it so so you know there are so many things that point in the direction of Jesus Christ I can't tell you or the viewers this is Jesus. I can, you know, in a court of law, we, we get evidence and the preponderance, the weight of the evidence, Wanda, yes. uh, determines whether we cast our, our, our favor in guilty or innocent. Mm -hmm. And so we can do the same with the shroud. We can give the data, the yes. science, the information, the history, mm -hmm. and weave it with the theology of the scripture. And we can say, boy, that points in a, in a certain direction. You know, when you mentioned the carbon dating, that was the famous study. Can you tell a little about the famous study that was done on this with the scientist? What was that in 19... Was that the 88 study? Uh, uh, well, I, I don't know. Well, in 1978, American scientists yeah. went over there with the most sophisticated equipment on Earth. Mm -hmm. You might have heard of this uh, play, NASA. Okay, they, yeah. they went right. over there. Yeah. Uh, Los Alamos to develop the atomic bomb. Right. Uh, you know, the Jet Propulsion Laboratory works on space missions. They and their top-notch people 
at their own expense. This wasn't funded. It was fundraised to, to, to get over. They used the most sophisticated equipment to look at it for five 24-hour round-the-clock days. And uh, their information came out two years later, and that's when I saw it and everything. But, um, um, you know, many of the men and women who took part in this uh, test have become personal friends of mine. Mm. And, and, and uh, so, so I, you know, w when I explain some things, you know, I'm in a position to kind of have a seat at the table. And, uh, you know, so, you know, the information I give is, is pretty reliable and pretty credible. It's not, there's no fake news coming from me. <laughs> That's good to hear, Dave. <laughs> you know, at least not from me, anyway. <laughs> We're going to take a break in a little bit, but why don't you give some information about what's coming up in the near future, Dave? Yes, yes. Well, I've been uh, privileged to, uh, to bring uh, a Traveling Man of the Shroud exhibit. It's a world-class exhibit. Uh, it's coming in March to Northeastern Ohio. Uh, it's going to be at two sites. Uh, the first site, uh, during the uh, dates of March 7th through March 9th, it's going to be at the St. Ignatius Breen Center for the Performing Arts in Cleveland. Uh, and again, the exhibit will be open to the public from 10 to 5 p.m. Uh, the next week, uh, it's going to be exhibited at Grace Church in Middleburg Heights. Grace Christian Missionary Alliance Church, again, Wednesday through Friday, the 14th through the 16th. And you can get this information, and you can get ticket information, because both Friday nights I'm going to speak. There will be a $10 ticketed admission, which all money is going to be donated. But you can get this information at my website, which is maninthesshroud.org. All the ticket information, all the sites, all the dates is there, maninthesshroud.org. But we're really excited about what's coming. I also have dates on my website in February where I'm going to be speaking at various sites prior to uh, the coming of this exhibit. So your listeners can go there, maninthesshroud.org. They can get all the information. Uh, come uh, buy a ticket. Uh, come to the uh, exhibit. Uh, because uh, this this is uh, something that uh, you'll not soon forget. You know, what I find intriguing on several levels, but the shroud goes to the very heart of the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. But you know, this whole idea of crucifixion, uh, if you look a thousand years prior to the crucifixion of our Lord in Psalm 22, uh, the, the psalmist is writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and he says... Uh, uh, he's looking down and they say, the enemies look up at me, their open mouths. I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. Uh, my strength is dried up like a pot shirt. He says, dogs compass me, which were the name for Gentiles then. Mm -hmm. And then it says, they pierce my hands and my feet. Mm -hmm. Well, st the capital punishment back that time was stoning. Mm -hmm. It was the Romans that introduced this hundreds of years later. And then you go to the, the, the prophecy in Zechariah where it says, and I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication, and they shall look upon me. This is God speaking through the Holy Spirit. God speaking through the prophet, whom they have pierced. And they will wail for this one as they wail for their only son. So you see these, the, the crucifixion, and of course we go to Isaiah 53 later. But this, all things kind of come to this, this point about death, burial, resurrection, and if nothing else, David is getting the conversation going and the dialogue going and saying, look, well, let's look at this and discuss this because yeah, yeah. this this is the, this is, if it's true, I mean, the death resurrection, we know it's true as believers. All history pivots on this, but not That's only right. that, yeah. each of our eternities 
Mm. Our central. Mm -hmm. Did you have a thought, Wanda, mm -hmm. before we go? Okay, David. And, you know, uh, the Bible references on the linen cloth also tie into what John's saying, but, you know, where are the connection to the linen cloth? Mark 15, 46, Joseph bought a linen cloth and taking down the body, wrapped it in the linen cloth and laid it in a tomb that had been hewn out of rock. Luke 24, 12, but Peter got up and ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves. Mm -hmm. So you got two connection points to the linen cloth yeah. connected to Christ. Yeah. And we'll take a it. break. We'll take a break, and then we're going to come back on the flip side and sure. then pick up some more of this information from David Anesco, who is uh, somewhat of an expert on the Shroud of Turin. He's devoted a good part of his adult life to this, certainly since you've been a believer. And uh, you have these seminars coming, and he's going to bring out more interesting points. And I want to encourage anybody out there to give us a call right here to the station, and that's 440-399-3044. Once again, that's 440-399-3044. Good morning. This is John Murtha coming to you from 89.1 Power Radio from Lorain, Ohio, and our phone number here is 440-399-3044. And we're going to continue with our very special guest this morning, David Anisky, Iniskow, sorry, David, and uh, a man that's devoted uh, quite a bit of his adult life, certainly since he's accepted Jesus Christ uh, back in the 1980s, to studying the Shroud of Turin. And he's going to tell us some information later about the special seminars he has coming up in the Cleveland area. Uh, but let's go right back to it, David. We were talking about the fact that even in the Old Testament, of course, we see prophecies and prophetic glimpses. Uh, one day there would be this suffering Messiah, the suffering servant, he would be pierced. His hands and his feet would be pierced. And so now when you go to the shroud, even medical doctors who have examined it, even skeptics or atheists, what are they saying just about anatomically and in terms of the pathology of the wounds? Uh, they're perfect. It's a perfect anatomy. As a matter of fact, the man is very, they said, very powerfully built, probably about between 5'10 and 6 feet, about 180 pounds. And uh, the wounds are anatomically perfect. Um, there's no way a, a medieval forger uh, would have ever known about this. Matter of fact, they do have medical books back in uh, you know the Middle Ages, and they look like cartoons. Mm -hmm. So um, uh, the uh, wound in the side is between the fifth and sixth rib. Uh, you know this man was crucified. It was unique to Jesus Christ. Why would they crucify anyone else? It was completely unique. He wore a helmet of thorns, this man. Actually, you can't say thorns, but his head was punctured. Dozens of punctured wounds, most likely from, uh, you know, crown of thorns. Uh, uh, speared in the side. His legs were not broken, which is very important. Medical doctors have said all the damage done to the man in the shroud, and it's atrocious. They said, we've never seen a body more damaged than the man in the shroud. Of course, that's Isaiah. He was marred more than any man. Yeah. And, and they said what, what's amazed them is that they, they, they can't see any broken bones on the man, yet he was brutalized yeah, beyond imagination. Yeah. Sure. Now the nose is broken, but it's made of cartilage. It's not made of bone, so it doesn't violate the scripture. So, you know, uh, pierced through the wrist. They, they've actually, uh, we've learned about Roman crucifixion by studying the shroud. Yeah, right. You know, uh, so there are many things anatomically, medically, forensically that point to authentic. Now, one thing they, in my reading, everybody seems to agree uh, that there's no trace of paint. So explain some of the, the theories or explanations of how this image gets on uh, the cloth. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, the painting theory, that's been put to bed a long time ago. 
So we need to eliminate that completely. Well, uh, the, 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 another one is a hot statue. Uh, they took a cloth, threw it over there. You have a singe mark. It's, it's, it's close, but it doesn't bear all the characteristics because it's not three-dimensional. This thing's three-dimensional. It's got height, weight, uh, width, and <coughs> depth. Like a hologram. And it's a, it is a hologram. Mm. And you need laser beams to create a hologram, by the way. Mm. So it is a hologram. Three-dimensional information. Um, so, you know, uh, everything that has been undertaken to study this thing uh, has pointed to it being authentic. And the image, uh, John, Wanda, and David, rests on the outermost fibers of the thread. If you take a thread and look at it under a microscope, it's woven by fibers which are less in diameter than a human hair. Take a hundred of those fibers, wrap them together, you have a thread. When you look at the image under a microscope at high magnification, you discover that on the top two or three fibrils of a hundred, the image has been aged, it's been yellowed, it's been, uh, the aging has been accelerated. The 90 plus beneath are pure white. If it was a painting, there would be cementation between the fibers. They would cement together. There is no cementation. The blood, there's cementation, of course, but not the image. The image rests on the outer fibers. It appears to be a light image. It wasn't created by heat, uh, but it's a, a light image created it. And they're, they're, they're moving toward its radiation image. The image, uh, the, the light image came from the body. It wasn't reflected externally it came from the body itself like a negative i mean it's almost like a negative it, out of film it well the, the 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 properties of the the shroud came to light in 1898 when the first photograph was taken yeah. and in his dark room mm -hmm. what was developed was a positive image on the negative plate which if you have a positive you must have photographed a negative exactly right david you, you know so i have some more information on the image because my wife was asking me about it this this morning uh, and this comes from the Los Alamos Institute, which is what you said, Dave. Them, uh, yeah. That's where they, mm -hmm. one of the things they're known for is doing the, the nuclear bomb. Yes. Uh, the main scientist there was Ray Rogers. His remarkable image imprinted on the shroud, Los Alamos chemist Ray Rogers stated his opinion that the impression had been formed by a burst of radiant energy light, if you will. Such a view is in harmony with gospel references to a brilliant light from heaven and the process of transformation undergone by Jesus at the moment of his resurrection after three days in a tomb. A statement issued by Los Alamos Laboratory, operated by the University of Department of Energy, explains one hypothesis that draws a parallel between the mysterious images on the shroud and the fact that images were formed on stones by fireball radiation from the atomic Not bomb in Hiroshima. Hiroshima. Yeah. yeah, so, so that's yeah, maybe you can talk yeah, about I wrote that. a paper called The Shekinah Glory of the Lord in the Shroud of Turin. I presented it in a, at the Shroud Conference in St. Louis in 2014. And I made reference to this, yeah. that the shadows on the walls, the images on the walls uh, in, in those two Japanese cities that were bombed are similar. They're shadows, they're silhouettes, they're ghost-like. And uh, it was the, the, the light from the fireball which dematerialized the body and cast their shadow on objects that were behind it. Radiated. Radiated. So, so this, this is what we're talking about. Now, it's interesting. They, about five years ago or so, scientists in uh, Italy uh, came close to, to matching the colorization of the shroud image. By the way, it's monochromatic. It's the same yellow color on top and on the bottom. Now, when you think about it, the bottom of the cloth was 
there was 180 pounds of dead weight on it. Mm -hmm. Yet the image, the color is exactly the same, which suggested perhaps the body was levitating prior to image formation. But these Italian scientists have been able to duplicate on fiber the shroud color, the image. It only took them two to five billion watts of power at one forty billionth of a second. Hmm. Holy smokes. To get that wow. image. To get that image. Get that image. Wow. To get it close. Well, again, you know, as we said earlier, this goes right to the, you know, the death, burial, and resurrection are all included. And, of course, in First Corinthians 15, Paul said that is the essential gospel. That's what distinguishes Christianity from any other uh, religion um, that had a prophet or a teacher or a guru, whatever. Ours, <laughs> ours is, yes, you know, he's a teacher, he's a, he's a prophet, fill in the blank, but he is a dying, rising savior. And this, uh, this again, the shroud is a great place to create curiosity. And, uh, and uh, you know, a good friend of mine, he's, oh, he gave me four rules when you share Christ with others. He says, number one, he says, always tell Jesus about that person before you tell that person about Jesus. Mm -hmm. Number two, build trust with that other person. Mm -hmm. Don't try to convert them, just build trust. Mm -hmm. uh, number three, create curiosity about Jesus. Just who do you think he was? What do you think of this? What do you think of the shroud? Number four, always be prepared to share your testimony, right. as David shared his yeah. at the beginning. So, David, tell us a little bit more about, uh, you're looking at the wounds, um, people are coming, and it seems like the only thing that critics have, if I'm wrong, maybe I'm right, is this carbon dating, which people have said they took the cuttings yeah. from the repair zones yes. on the right. shroud, which yes. would suggest it would be uh, 1,500. Yes, and they've also discovered something else, that uh, when you uh, radiate linen, uh, there's a carbon enrichment that's added to the cloth. So if this thing <laughs> was created by the resurrection, by a Shekinah event, that would have added carbon to the cloth, which would have made the date uh, younger than it actually is. It also, uh, when we look at the shroud, we see the blood is bright red. And many would say, well, that's, that's an indication that it's, it's, it's a fake. Because mm -hmm. ancient blood, we've seen it in, in, in Pharaoh's tombs and yes. you know, mummies. You've seen blood. Uh, it's dark. It's black. It's brown. But the shroud is, is bright red. Mm -hmm. And there's a couple of reasons for that. Because once again, when blood is irradiated, it becomes brighter in, in the red color. Luminous. Yeah, and, and uh, bilirubin is a, is a byproduct of blood when bl red blood cells are broken down due to traumatic, torturous suffering. Uh, red blood cells are broken down, and that red blood uh, is manufactured into a, a, a product called bilirubin, which makes blood, once again, bright red. Yeah. So we believe medically we, uh, you know, and as well as scientifically with the radiation and, and you know, bilirubin, that, that there are reasons, sound reasons, why the blood is bright red if it's 2,000 years old. You know, it, it says in Isaiah, he was more marred than any man. And then you go into Isaiah 53. And when you look at this shroud as kind of like if you're a detective uh, looking for evidence and where's the evidence leading you, you certainly see very consistent wounding. Uh, the scourging on the back is horrific if you look at the, the, yeah, the, yeah, the yeah. markings. It's actually over the whole body. It's on the front, too. The only area it's not on are the, are the forearms, and we believe the reason that's the case is because the forearms were above the head on the pillar, shackled, because there are no, no yeah. images on the forearms. And, and then the, the 120 scourge whip marks, that's consistent because weren't there four 
sections to the whip, and didn't they whip? Well, yeah, times? a couple, a couple or three thongs coming out, which had bits of uh, uh, lead balls at the end, or sharpened animal bones, right. or broken pottery. Uh, we're not cer 